0: I don't wanna see no doctor that don't look like me. And I, I'm not I don't want no Nigerian doctor. It gotta be an American black doctor. Cause um it took it took all the patience I could muster up not to cuss out this little white cave bitch. Oh, ugly ass looking dwarf looking bitch. gonna tell me my my blood pressure is high this is before she denied me my prescription oh of course this is raging high now I can feel my heartbeat in my head only if we could get rid of these white people off the fucking face of this planet and then those that wanted to be so much like them can follow. You get getting more and more like my brother last I, I just don't give a fuck anymore. I don't give a fuck anymore. These motherfuckers want to keep black people in a perpetual state of either pain or damn near destitute. Part of the the hypocritic oath and shit is keep your patient in pain. I don't want to see that that cave bitch up in here no more. You mean? That's a wrap. I let the little young motherfucking shit tell me no. And you mean to tell me this cave bitch and shit tells me no too? Nah. Nah. I'm I'm done. Now, Darlene and Angie want to continue to see the motherfuckers. Okay, that's cool. They want to vote for Biden anyway, so they, they go ahead and see white people all they want. I don't want to see no more white people up in here. I don't I don't want to see not a man, not a white motherfucker call themselves a motherfucking doctor or their little sidekick, hobby dobby uh uh patient advocate bitch. I don't want to see none of them motherfuckers up in this house no more talking about they need to see me. Don't nobody need to see it. Can suck my dick. Give me my fucking pain pills or get the fuck out this motherfucking house. You know what I'm to be. You you done sent these dogs over here to come and get rubby rubby and stuff. I'm not trying to be mad at y'all. You know I'm not mad at y'all and stuff. I should have let you go downstairs and bite her ass. Yeah, yeah i know she'll do it too i don't even have to ask her i'll be like there's someone pouring in the house she'll go right down there wouldn't you baby mm? yeah i know you would And little bit right behind you yeah tear both her fat ass ankles up looking like ham and shoes you see them big motherfuckers' new cables super tangles the motherfuckers look like they they squeak when she
1: yeah
0: see Oh shit! The bitch getting driven around by the hobby doctor. Hold on for a second, sweetheart. I mean, okay, ain't gonna W and shit right now. I'm trying to do my right. but you want to talk? Hold on, y'all. She wants to talk. Okay, tell, tell us all about it. Okay, she's begging for a damn treat. And she's demanding it. I, don't stop. Don't, don't scratch me now. She got to get her nails done. Now, you know, I know you love these things. You, you know, got, got a pufferone and stuff. And she acts a fool. You see how she acting, right? Here, I'll take that. You go a little bit. Okay, right. both of y'all got your little treat. Now, I mean, I, I was, I called myself being nice. I didn't use no vanity. I didn't cuss her out like I wanted to. But damn, she got the hobby-dobby driving around ass around. Yeah, because I've seen she got up. She went outside. I wonder if she she's kind of looking at me, too. She got up and went outside and got in the car. And then she's still down there talking, trying to explain to me about shit. Man. So I let her out the house. And, um, I look, and I'm like, okay, I see the moment she pulled up. See the car. I don't want to see what was her car because you remember the other two. You know, yeah, they, they yeah they drove separate cars. So, yeah. No, the last man he uh, that came, you know. But yeah, she in the driver's seat. And she was in the pass.
2: She got in the passenger seat. I just Should
0: don't I work out my car. I don't, I didn't we didn't ask all that. Bitch said that. You were coming over here. You are supposedly a doctor, right? But, so, babe, this is yeah. the second time. Why even give me the motherfucker? Y'all know why? Even ask me what's the rate of my pain if you ain't gonna give me no motherfucking painkiller? It's like that. That's the yo-yo shit that I don't like. These motherfuckers don't play with me. You mm-hmm. don't play with me. Uh-huh. Oh, they're telling you now
3: no no they just came from under the bed
0: yeah she can get up under there and I she, know, went little she bit came and she looked at me and i wonder what she looked at me she, she's she looking down now. up under there and she looking to see a little bit left her tree yeah yeah oh i see what's going on here stop stop she ain't got a tree she doesn't no, need her tree all right now here yeah i got something else for you then he was here like, go. "Oh yeah, you think you can run up on there, and I can't get that ass? <laughs> <laughs> I can get up under there too." <laughs> all right, that's okay, cause I'm gonna fix. All. I'm gonna fix me. I can't get up under my bed here. Not that you doing anything still. Right, we gotta go to the post office. Yeah, I gotta go out. Period. Say we. Oui. Uh-huh. don't leave me up in the house I just leave me up in this house so who are we supposed to get this fucking, uh this uh referral to Dr Dora salgia she sounds like she Italian I guess what's this for MRI. yeah see if I got either Perniated or slipped disc. Is that the right one, or did she write me out the wrong one? Yeah, that's what it is. But I'm just wondering why she did this. Hey, she was so quick to write that motherfucker out. I thought she was gonna be, you know, nice to work with. But no, I don't want her ass up in this house no more. Actually. Because For if her. I'm not mistaken, so um. You gotta have they have to send the orders like to go to St. Joe's, like don't right? they gotta right. send over the paperwork too? Yeah. Like this ain't paperwork. Is no, that an order? That's a damn near prescription. That's right? a prescription. But it's on a prescription pad. And the fuckery, man. But anyway, that's that before I all I got to say about this ranting black. Just had to go ahead while it's hot on my mind. So I don't have to remind myself. Don't let these white motherfuckers in here talking about they need to see me. I'm going back to my black doctor. Hopefully he got his new office and everything now that he's out of the Detroit Medical uh, Center. He's doing his own thing, and we don't have to wait as long now. Only time will tell. The black family, keep your head on a swivel. Be safe out there. Love it,
4: Let me tell you something, there is absolutely no turning back from where we are at right now. I've talked to people over the last couple of weeks that have given us some idea of where we are going, the direction that we are headed. That goes from open source intelligence analysts, military strategists, we're talking to people in the financial sector, and we know at each and every turn, it's the United States of America that is getting in on the sour end of what's coming. From one-time allied countries who are basically turning their backs on the country to the de-dollarization strategy that is picking up and trending across multiple governments. You have Russia and China, Israel and Iran. They have basically said in every individual area, whether it's finances, whether it's the military, whether it's local police, everybody is getting ready for the crash that is coming. Now, we don't mean that to be any sort of intermittent or even near immediate crash, you're not going to just wake up most likely and look at your bank account and go, oh, well, it's not available right now, or pick up the phone and it's not going to work. Instead, what we are seeing right now is the unstoppable train that is headed toward the edge of the cliff. Where we end up is world war. We might even see nuclear war. We are definitely going to see new biological events and this economic crash. This crisis is literally just starting. Canadian Prepper had Peter Schiff, and i watched that video recently where they talked about this financial crisis because that's exactly what it is. This is a great depression. It's just not one for the guys at top at the top. They don't see this as a depression because it hasn't checked all the uh, little check marks off of their list. That they keep changing. They go, oh, well, that one got checked. Oh, hold on. Now we're going to refigure this. Okay, it's no longer checked. Instead, this Great Depression affects you. It affects your family. And I don't know if you can tell, but I'm a little bit angered by such a lackadaisical approach to what our government is doing, what people in politics are doing, what corporations are doing. They are each and every one of them reaching that point of not returning back from greed and corruption to sell you out make you work for your last dollar before you die. They absolutely don't care. And when we look at what's happening in police organizations, we have strategists from the government. We have individual outlets that are not for profit or non-government organizations, and they are all warning about what happens next. Unrest, riots, protests, food supply shortages, and possible banking or institution problems. We already know that there is an attack that is ongoing at this point in time right now, today on infrastructure in the United States of America. They are right now trying to hit as many parts of infrastructure as they can. Look at all of the trains that are being derailed, sometimes with hazardous materials, other times with uh, just normal train derailments. Look at how close to the rivers we are seeing these derailment events take place. Look at the chemical plant fires that we are seeing. Look at the uh, food production infrastructure, or food production plants catching fire that we've seen over the last two years. This is an attack. It's coordinated, it's long running. This is not going to be over anytime soon. What you can expect to see is a deterioration of your value or your quality of life. That means you might expect to be able to go to work and not get harmed or not see violence. That's no longer going to be a viable option. You might expect your kids to go to school and then not have some sort of uh, you know mass event that causes casualties. Boom, no longer an option. You might expect to be able to pay all of your bills. No longer an option. Get food from the store might not be an option. Maybe get some medicine. Well, as soon as China stops what they're doing, stops sending those raw materials to the United States of America, sorry, Grandma, sorry, Grandpa, you're not getting that heart med. This is the direction of where we're going. Now, when I have people in the community reach out and they're like, oh, it's doom and gloom, or oh, that's just depressing, I'm sorry that you woke up in a time of your life in a time on this earth that the realities of what are what's happening right now aren't peach and peaches and cream we don't see rainbows and uh, butterflies all day every day and you can't manifest that as some try to say oh you're manifesting negativity no you're a pansy and you can't figure out what reality really is and so instead you put these blinders on that say well if i just want to be rich i'll think about being rich Or if I just want to be this, I'll think about being this. That's not the way it works. And so we have a lot of people who are detracting from the message. The message is that you have to start getting ready and you have to start getting ready right now. If you haven't already, today is your opportunity. Imagine if you knew what was happening. If you knew you were going to get into a car accident, you wouldn't put on a seatbelt, right? No, you wouldn't get in the car if you knew you were going to get in a train wreck you wouldn't say okay well i'm just going to go to the back where it's safest you would not get on the train unfortunately we're already on the train we're in the car what we have left is our skills our seat belts and our readiness to survive i've said it before and i'm going to say it again right now the survivors aren't going to be the uh the armchair Rambos, the keyboard warriors that are out there saying, oh, I can survive anything with my, you know, 6,000 rounds of 223, my six years of mountain house food. Absolutely not. Those are the people who hopefully what they've done will add to the luck of survival and they'll make good decisions. Without those items, people are going to be worse off, but that doesn't mean that they have nothing. So if today is your first day getting started, I want you to remember, that it's nobody's who survive cataclysmic events. Look at the earthquakes we have happening. Our sun is reawakening. They expect massive solar flares with the potential to cause geomagnetic storms, in some cases, such a storm that can knock out our electronics on Earth. Now, who is who are we to say that if we don't have some sort of solar anomaly take place. It isn't actually North Korea or Russia or China or Iran or somebody else letting go an EMP in the sky. Let's face it, we lived in the United States of America for how many decades and didn't see these weather balloons that China was sending over. It was just when they started to look for them, they saw them. No, they want you to believe that they've got everything up and tidy. They've got all the shirts buttoned. They've got everything taken care of. The United States of America, the government here, does not have everything taken care of. China told their citizens to get ready for a year. Buy as much food as you can. Build your community. Russia told their citizens to buy food for a year. Get candles and warm blankets and as many goods as you can. The United States of America told their citizens, let's get back to work, everything's going to be okay. Who do you think was doing it right for their citizens? Now, look at what's happening behind the scenes. The United States of America is violently removing the Western world from a dependency on oil. Why is that? China, Russia, and other countries are building a currency that is backed by gold. Why is that? Iran has said that they will basically wipe Israel from the face of the earth, if necessary. Israel has said that they have already passed the point of no return with Iran, and they do not need the United States of America to strike that country's nuclear weapons centers and take them out. Saudi Arabia is aligning with China. India is aligning with Russia and China. The bricks are building, and on top of those bricks, you will find the new foundation of the new world order. The United States of America has no say in this, guys. The USA is the old dog. You know, you have, you have the dogs, the pack of dogs, right? And those dogs, they used to be the one leader. And that dog would beat the A of any other dog around because it was young enough, fit enough, growled enough, showed enough teeth and had enough bite behind those teeth. But one day, all of the other dogs might decide to join up together and take on that one dog. That's what's happening to the United States of America. Not only is the USA not showing as much teeth as it used to, because it's much more concerned about who should be allowed to uh, qualify for the Olympics based on what they were born as the USA is much more concerned about your feelings. All these other countries are saying, build the nukes. They're saying, uh, you know, prepare the men and women. They're saying, get the drafts ready. The USA is like, oh, well, that's okay. Let's make sure that nobody's feelings get hurt here. And let's just tell everybody to go back to work. Why? because they know they are screwed. When you have a company that is going under, I'm talking about any corporation, but just let's, for instance, say you have a company of a hundred employees. It's not huge, but it's a big company. The owner of that company will tell every employee there that everything is fine until the day they shutter that door. Self-preservation happens on so many different levels that people forget that self-preservation happens on a governmental, a a political, and a corporate level as well. So if the government knows that their time is over, do you think they will help you go quietly into the night? Or instead, will the US government, just like the employer would say, everything is okay, now we're just downsizing a little bit, we're getting rid of some of the fat on the bone, it's okay, everything's gonna be fine. That's what the USA is doing. Behind the scenes, they're trying to keep some power by maneuvering massive amounts of military equipment, building strategic allies, calling for an open Indo-Pacific to fight China, getting ready with Israel to fight Iran. But the fact of the matter is, the USA cannot fight this many people at one time. I know that your sons and daughters do not wanna go fight this war for them. And so where does that leave you And where does that leave me? Well, it leaves us as part of this group that's looking at the dog that's about to get beaten. And what happens next is truly horrifying. We're going to be turned almost overnight, but it will take weeks, might take months. Who knows? It could take years. This is unprecedented for the USA to turn from a first world country. You remember that old thing, the American dream, right? Now, when we see people go to other countries and the country folk ask them, where are you from? The ones who say America get scoffed at, get shunned, and get pushed to the side. Those are seen as the ables of the world. But if they say they're from Canada or they're from Australia or they're from Scotland, I like this guy on YouTube. His name is Dale Phillip. He's from Scotlandia. He always talks about his, uh, you know, his travels and everything. He shows you different parts of the world. People love it. Oh, you're from Scotland. They love it. They know all about it. People who come there saying they're from America, people are like, you're a disgusting piece of garbage. And that's how America is starting to be viewed all around the world, as a disgusting piece of garbage. The people viewed this way. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying every person because I hope that the rest of the world, I would like to, in a world of rainbows and and butterflies, the rest of the world wouldn't judge, just like I don't judge people by where they're from, who they are, what color, what they wanna think about themselves. I don't care, be a good person. But the rest of the world does judge. And so what that leaves you and me in a developing in a development of becoming a third world country where your paper fake money is going to be as meaningless as its ability to catch fire. You're going to look at streets eventually littered with United States dollars because India, Iran, Pakistan, Uzbekistan, Kajikistan saudi arabia china russia all these other powerful countries have come together and said that the day of the dollar is over what was that zombie movie the dawn of the dead Well, this is the dawn of the de-dollarization the day that america died and it's not going to happen just overnight but all these pieces of the puzzle are already in play they're already happening And so when I have people come on and they're they're talking about, oh, it's doom and gloom, or that's just too depressing. Wake up. What's that? uh, Back to the future. Uh, You know, McFly, wake up McFly. You don't want to be that dumb when it comes to what happens next. And there's a real ability for people to misjudge the burden of responsibility and turn that into an overwhelming yoke that they cannot carry. That's not what preparedness is about. Your preparedness is your seatbelt. It is getting to the back of the train. Your preparedness is learning how to make a fire with wet wood. Your preparedness is learning how to uh, diagnose certain medical conditions by becoming as educated as you can on, especially things that are affecting your family, look into traditional Chinese medicine or Ayurveda from the Indian medicine, seeing what they're doing for those conditions. Your preparedness is about stocking your pantry. So you get a couple of weeks, months, right? You might even make years of readiness to not have to go to the store or at least just keep up with what you have already purchased so that your kids aren't hungry. Your preparedness is about taking steps today because you have the ability to. And then when the car crashes, when the train hits the brick, when all these other things happen, you know what to do. Please get out there and build your skills. It's absolutely free. Go camping, go hunting, go fishing, go to the shooting range, take your uh, take your bow and arrow out, take your slingshot and hit some cans. Who doesn't live in an area that they can't take a slingshot and hit some cans with? Like, oh, that's, right, that's baby stuff. Well, guess what? You want to feed your family squirrel or bird or rabbits? That slingshot will get the job done. I have hunted with slingshots before. People around the world hunted with slingshots. They still do today. And you should learn how to do it. You ever made a rabbit throwing stick? You should think of how to do it because the rabbit knows it can get away from you. But it'll stop a little ways away. And so that throwing stick bridges the gap between you and that rabbit. Now you better get good with it. A lot of people think they can survive without ever stepping foot in the wilderness, without ever considering that they might have to one day survive. Our mission here in this great community made up of people from all over the world is to help people get ready. You can go to church and pray about it. Sure, that's great. You can have a 401k. Sure, that's great. But if you don't get out there and do something for yourself, no matter what creator you believe in no matter what your faith is no matter what your financial position is today everything changes when it gets time for you to actually do something in preservation of your life and future so please work together with this community here talk in the comments talk with other people go out and actually do it get out camping fishing hunting shooting uh, you know, learn your local water areas. Mark them down on a map. Click the button to geolocate them on your phone. Put something in a Faraday box. Start learning how to communicate without using, uh, you know, common verbiage. Start building survival groups and communities and doing all these things. Because today you don't have to do it. The lights are on, you can see. Today is safe. I hope you are safe today. But tomorrow, that is not a guarantee. And in fact, with everything that's happening around the world, tomorrow might be a horrible day. I know it's somebody's SHTF tomorrow. I hope it's not yours. But if you have your skills and your preps and you're having fun and you're doing all these things, if it is your SHTF, you lose your job, whatever might happen, you'll be in a better position than you would have been. I hope that you guys will get started. Time is running out. From my family to yours, please stay safe, remain vigilant and keep watch. This week's full spectrum news is brought to us by each one of you, all of our members on Patreon where we share great things in a community there. Make sure if you wanna get survival cards sent out to you every month with tips and things to do and and great pictures that we take here, check out patreon.com forward slash full spectrum survival. Join us there. Also check out contingencymedical.com, use the code FSS10 if you're looking for real antibiotics, so that if and when that time comes that a doctor doesn't answer, you'll already have the antibiotics. And make sure you check out nutrientsurvival.com forward slash FSS. Use the code FSS15 for a real long-term food. They keep the nutrients in it. They have meals that are ready to eat and other things that you'll want to take when you go camping. But stock your pantry. Go out, learn how to build a fire. Let's get started. Stay safe, everyone.
0: What's up, dope black family? Hey, Zanini here. Yeah. Doing the last uh last installment of this Alphabet Boys uh episode ten. America didn't send its best.
5: Going to explore the relationship between our brains and our experiences by tackling unusual questions like can we create new senses for humans? So, join me weekly to uncover how your brain steers your behavior, your perception, and your reality. Listen to Inner Cosmos with Dave Diegelman on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: 13 exonerations, all connected to one forensic scientist. I'm Tessa Kramer, host of the new podcast series, Admissible, a podcast about evidence. Those aren't
2: my genes. This is the worst kind of fraud.
3: Causes to question the cases that she worked. There's no way they didn't know it was wrong. And she worked
1: a lot of cases.
3: Yeah, they knew this. Listen to Admissible, Shreds
1: of Evidence, on the iHeartRadio
3: app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I am Rosie O'Donnell, and I've got a new podcast called Onward with me, Rosie O'Donnell, on iHeart. Mostly, uh, this part of my life is just about moving forward, and I thought, what a wonderful way to do it with good friends across a tiny table and just have a heartfelt conversation. Listen to Onward with Rosie O'Donnell, a proud part of the Outspoken Podcast Network on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
6: It's July 2021, and Zeb Hall is going to work.
5: Get out of my car. You know, I'm working a nail net for a contract. 30 bucks an hour, I'm fucking happy. It's been nearly a year since
6: he's seen Mickey Windecker, or really anyone involved in the protest scene. And I walked back to my car because I forgot something, came back out, then I saw those letters. As he's walking back to his car, Zeb sees a man wearing a blue jacket. With three large yellow letters on the back. He said,
5: uh, Zeb Elias Hall. I was like, yeah, FBI. It was hard for me to hear anything else after that. And I just put my hands up in the air because I'm thinking these dudes are going to just fucking straight up shoot me. I'm freaking out and shaking everything. I'm like, fuck, you know, I'm, you know, I know I'm getting
6: arrested. FBI agents search Zeb and his car. They take his belt and his shoes. Then they take me to like a this, uh, holding cell. And I'm freaking the fuck out. Zeb has just one question Was it Mickey? I'm Trevor Aronson from Western Sound and iHeart Podcast. This is Alphabet
2: Voice. Episode 10. America
3: didn't send
2: its
6: best. Among the racial justice demonstrators in Denver, Trey Quinn is the only one who's really on to Mickey. I, I think he's I think he's fucking suspicious. Trey had proposed a hypothetical idea to Mickey back in August 2020. What if a neighborhood were set on fire? And Mickey told Trey that he knew some guys who could make that happen. Trey was smart enough to suspect that that's the behavior of a fed. But Trey never has definitive proof until the next month, when he's arrested. I had the day off,
2: and when I went back to work the next day, uh, one of my co was like, hey, the, the cops came here looking for you, and you weren't here. And I was like, "What?" Well, then? And I was like, oh, shit.
6: Here we go. Here we go. At the time, Trey's working at a Sherwin-Williams. From inside, through the windows, he sees a police cruiser pull up right behind his car in the parking lot. And I see two cops walking through the doors and then two more
2: walk through the doors and then one more walks through the door and stands at the door. They come up and they're like, Trey Quinn, you got know, one for your ranch for inciting a riot and so on and so forth. And so I'm like, I didn't leave no protest. You know what I'm saying? I ain't leave no protest, which was
6: true at this time. What Trey means is that as the protests had become more violent with the attacks on the police stations, he had backed away. So Trey wasn't technically leading the protest any longer,
2: and so when they cuff me, I when we get outside, there's a shitload of cop cars out there, they toss me in, whip me away, just
6: whew, hoist me away. He and five other organizers are arrested that day for activities during the demonstrations in 2020. Trey's charged with inciting a riot, engaging in a riot, false imprisonment, and obstructing government operations. When I was being detained in question. They passed me off to the feds. Trey is taken into an
2: interrogation room. It's when the feds came in the room and introduced themselves to me, Mickey
6: was the first name that they dropped. For Trey, hearing the feds mention Mickey from the very beginning, he knew what that meant. They were trying to gauge his suspicion. I mean, why else would you
2: do that? And so I said, what do you know about Mickey?" And they said, well, we're trying to figure that out. And that's obviously a tell right there. And so I knew
6: right then and there, he's he's, he's working with these guys. Prosecutors, after deliberating for nine months, eventually dropped all the charges against Trey. The five other protest organizers who were arrested also have their charges thrown out. Their cases were bogus. But the damage to the movement is done. Mickey's operation in Denver is coming to a close as the feds, with the help of local officials, start hauling in some of the people he's been secretly recording. Well, they showed up at my house. They showed up at the park that I was at with my girlfriend and her daughter, and they showed up at my best friend's house. This is Bryce Shelby, the guy who discussed with Mickey and the FBI undercover agent a plan to assassinate Colorado's attorney general. Or was it the district attorney? A vague plot that ultimately went nowhere. They said I was under investigation for pretty much saying I was going to murder the attorney general. This was on November 3rd, 2020, the same day of the presidential election. The cops seemed on edge. So they,
5: they patted me down and shit like that. And it was really light. First off, like for your listeners, I'm not trying to be amusement or poke fun or no shit like that, but it was almost like they were still scared in whatever way. It was like, they were still afraid. Like this motherfucker, he still got something still,
6: you know what I mean? It was weird. They take Bryce's assault rifle from his home, but they don't arrest him. Bryce isn't being charged with a crime. Instead, local prosecutors use the evidence the FBI collected to ask a court to take away Bryce's gun for a year under Colorado's so-called red flag law. Bryce is a potential threat to the community prosecutors argue local media run with the story
3: his name is bryce jordan shelby and this is his mugshot from 2011
6: law enforcement officials present bryce's case as if the assassination plot was something a lot more than it was this is from the local fox affiliate the process
7: accuses Bryce Jordan, Sidney Shelby of surveilling Attorney General Phil Weiser's home. The
3: 29-year-old is now accused of plotting to shoot Attorney General Phil Weiser in the head. Planning to shoot the state's top law enforcement official in the head, and quote, does not care if Weiser's
5: wife, dog, or children have to die in the process. In a hearing to take away Bryce's
6: firearms, a Denver police detective testifies that the FBI had reached what he called an impasse and had not been able to build a prosecutable criminal case against Bryce.
5: Probably gets a little blurred because I did say certain things, so that's whatever they in some way to put it
4: for intent and shit like that, you know what I mean? But yeah, not going through with any kind of plan of payments and shit like that. Yeah, well, no. you know what I mean, no.
6: Zeb Hall isn't as fortunate. After buying a gun for Mickey and being there that strange night when Mickey recorded the video making threats and saying he wasn't a snitch, Zeb backed away from all of it and everyone, including Mickey. Things had gone too far, had become too dangerous. The revolution can wait.
7: Police say Shelby, who self-identifies with the Black Panther Party, also said he wanted to quote eliminate the mayors and police chiefs of Denver and Aurora.
6: Zeb sees on the news that police have taken away Bryce Shelby's guns. Zeb's been very slow to come around to this conclusion, but by now, he's finally beginning to suspect that Mickey's an informant. So, and this is kind of bizarre, given that suspicion, but Zeb sends a link to a local news article about Bryce
5: to Mickey. And, uh, you know, that was when I text Mickey out of nowhere and I said, you know, I guess fuck around, find out. He says, yep. And kept it at that.
6: That was in November 2020. Months pass. And in July 2021, out of nowhere, Zeb gets another text from Mickey. According to an FBI internal report, agents asked Mickey to reach out to Zeb in anticipation of securing an indictment against him and to determine. His whereabouts. Checking to see how you doing, Mickey writes. Zeb texts Mickey that he's surprised to hear from him. He also says he's distanced himself from everyone who participated in the demonstrations. I think you're paranoid, LOL, Mickey replies. Nothing against you and your crew, but the past year was dangerous, Zeb writes. At this point, Zeb is scared of Mickey. Is he a snitch, as people have claimed? Or is he just some crazy, badass motherfucker? What if he comes looking for me? Zeb thinks. I even bought a gun
3: because I was just afraid of him. I was fucking terrified of this guy. I always kept it up in my closet and
5: everything. You know, I took it out with me a few times just because I was fucking afraid, kept it in my car. I don't know if that's legal or not, but I was just fucking terrified of this human being. About
6: two weeks after that out of the blue text exchange with Mickey, Zeb's at work and walks back out to his car. He sees a bunch of guys wearing FBI jackets. They're waiting for him with a federal indictment. Zeb's been charged with transferring a firearm to a felon, an offense punishable by up to 10 years in prison and a fine of up to $250,000. Zeb is about to enter a criminal justice system that's rigged against him.
5: More after the break. Hi, I'm David Eagleman. I have a new podcast called Inner Cosmos on iHeart. I'm a neuroscientist and an author at Stanford University, and I've spent my career exploring the three-pound universe in our heads. On my new podcast, I'm going to explore the relationship between our brains and our experiences by tackling unusual questions so we can better understand our lives and our realities, like Does time really run in slow motion when you're in a car accident? Or can we create new senses for humans? Or what does dreaming have to do with the rotation of the planet? So join me weekly to uncover how your brain steers your behavior, your perception, and your reality. Listen to Inner Cosmos with Dave Eagleman on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
8: Mi gente, it's Amara La Negra of the Exactly Amara podcast. I have some huge news. Los quiero invitar to an all-new season of my podcast, Exactly Amara. I am so excited to share even more of my life. Y lo vamos a hacer todo just how I like it. Keeping it hot and spicy con ese sazón que les gusta. Vamos a hablar en get personal each week. As I share with you my new life as a single mom of twin girls, the constant changes physically and mentally as a new mother running a business, dating, and the importance of having a strong support group around you, como mi mamá. Along the way, I'm bringing some incredible guests to be part of the conversation that only Exactly Amara can bring to you. Get those headphones ready and turn me up, because this new season va a estar caliente. Listen to Exactly Amara as part of the My Punta podcast network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm
3: Rosie O'Donnell, and I've got a new podcast called Onward with me, Rosie O'Donnell, on iHeart. I'm 60 years old now. Believe that? Yes, it's the truth. So I figure two-thirds of my life are done. Zero to 30, 30 to 60, and now I'm in the 60 to 90 if I'm looking. Mostly, uh, this part of my life is just about moving forward, and I thought, what a wonderful way to do it with the podcast that I can sit down here in my home, with people I love and admire, people I've worked with, people I've gotten to be friends with, and some family friends that feel like the real deal. Like who, you might ask? Natasha Leon, Jennifer Lewis, Ricky Lake, Fran Drescher, Sharon Bless, Kathy Griffin, Cameron Manheim, the list goes on and on. Listen to Onward with Rosie O'Donnell, a proud part of the Outspoken Podcast Network on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
6: No doubt the FBI was hoping for much more with Zeb, some sort of headline-grabbing criminal case related to a bomb plot or a plan to kill a politician. But Zeb never moved beyond tough-guy talk and tough guy talk isn't a crime. The FBI got Zeb on what's sometimes called a backup charge. FBI agents will often entice targets to commit lower level crimes. In Zeb's case, buying a gun for a felon. So that if the big case doesn't work out, at least they have something to show for all the work and all the taxpayer money poured into their investigation. In Zeb's case, there are two problems. And I think they highlight the fundamental absurdity and unfairness at work here. The first is that Mickey and the FBI had engineered a relationship with Zeb in which Mickey was the alpha. Mickey portrayed himself as dangerous and violent. He had pictures of dead ISIS fighters on his phone. When Zeb bought the gun for Mickey, how much of what he did was driven
5: by fear of Mickey? I'm thinking, oh, yeah, this dude's fucking crazy. But I don't think it hit completely that he was complete fed at some points. But when he asked me to do that shit, I was like, oh, fuck. I knew I wasn't safe if I said no. And second, what Seb
6: did only happened because the FBI secretly enabled every step of the process. And they gave him the money to give to me, you know. Right, so you use the and so you basically use FBI money to buy a gun that essentially went back
5: to the FBI.
6: Yeah, your tax money. <laughs> Our tax money. Zeb ultimately decided to plead guilty to his felony case. This is not at all uncommon for an American in his position. The federal criminal justice system is designed to produce plea deals. Over 97% of all criminal convictions in federal court are the result of plea agreements. This is due entirely to the horribly lopsided risk taking a federal criminal case to trial. If Zeb had presented his case to a jury, pitting his overworked public defender against the limitless resources of the Justice Department, he would have risked spending up to 10 years in prison. But if Zeb takes a plea deal, the Justice Department will recommend
5: that he not spend any time in prison. I felt that if I fought it, they'd find some way to label me as a domestic terrorist. And so I figured, yeah, it's better to take the plea.
6: The Zeb has no real choice here. He's screwed. The house always wins. Well, maybe not always. The summer of 2020, all that anger and fear. Can we really say anything changed? Maybe, I mean, there's been some accountability in Aurora, Colorado, the police officers and paramedics responsible for the death of Elijah McLean, the unarmed black man who was injected with a lethal dose of ketamine. They were indicted on state criminal charges.
5: Now, a 32-count indictment, two officers, a former officer, and two paramedics, each face a count of manslaughter and criminally negligent homicide. Four
4: of the five also face assault charges.
6: And a federal jury ordered the city and county of Denver to pay millions in damages to demonstrators who were injured by police during the protest.
8: Denver has to pay up big time. $14 million to 12 people over the police department's use of force during protests. Over
7: the
6: murder of George Floyd. This civil case was the first in the nation to take to trial accusations of police brutality during the summer of 2020.
4: A jury ruled in favor of protesters today who say DVD violated their civil rights and used excessive force when officers used tear gas and fired pepper balls at them back in 2020.
6: Oh, and remember Colorado Springs? The undercover cop with her pink hair? Those activists got some results too. The city ended up settling a lawsuit with the family of the Von Bailey, who was fatally shot in the back by a police officer for three million dollars. No doubt, public pressure and all those demonstrations played a role in making those small changes. And that, that un- way, Zeb and the other protesters accomplished something. But it came at a cost for Zeb he's pleaded guilty to a felony charge. And with his sentencing hearing coming up, he's concerned that, despite assurances to the contrary, the judge could sentence him to prison for using the government's money to buy a gun for the government's agent, who then gave it to the government. On September seventh, 2022, Zeb walks into the federal courthouse in Denver for a sentencing hearing. An hour later, he calls me.
5: Hey, what's up, how, you doing? hey then, how are you? I'm doing Got a three years probation. They said I could probably get off after one. The probation and the prosecutor, you know, they argued for three. My uh, my attorney argued for one, but they kind of tied it to political events coming up, uh, maybe the 2024 election and the other uh, events, um, because um they directly brought up the January 6th incident. Um, is saying that you know it's the potential that if something like that happened again Mr. Hawkins is swept up into it. Uh, and so do you feel do you feel good about it? Uh no dude I don't. I don't deserve it. And I don't feel good that they want to cover up the fact that local, state, and federal law enforcement caused violence here. I don't feel good about it. I don't feel good about it.
6: So here's something interesting. During the hearing, Zeb's judge mentioned January 6th, the insurrection. It's interesting because as the FBI and the Justice Department were focused on racial justice groups, they turned a blind eye to right-wing extremists who ultimately stormed the US Capitol. David Bowditch, the FBI Deputy Director who compared the racial justice protests to 9 11 had said just days before January 6th that the Bureau was ready to respond to any problems. Bowditch and the FBI were, of course, proven very wrong. After January 6th, Bowditch quietly retired from the FBI. He was a fuck up. The immediate reaction among right-wing news media and politicians was to tap into the same narrative they used during the summer of 2020, that Antifa was the boogeyman.
7: We really don't know who is behind this.
6: I guess you could call these, uh, for lack of a better word, Antifa-like tactics. We don't know if Antifa is out there. January 6th? Maybe it was Antifa.
4: If Antifa was there, we need to root it out and make sure that that's called out because it shouldn't be blamed on groups that weren't responsible.
7: The last couple of times we've seen these rallies, it hasn't just been the president's
6: supporters. We have seen Antifa, we have seen Black Lives Matter. These claims, and many others like them, had an effect, exaggerating the threat of anti-fascist activists, while downplaying the threat of right-wing extremists. Even the FBI, from top to bottom, appeared to be influenced by the Antifa boogeyman claims. Here's Michael German, a former FBI agent who regularly testifies before congress how can you not have seen the
3: way the crowd boys have committed violence all across the country in the four years prior to
2: january 6 they committed violence in, in washington dc at trump rallies in november and december of 2020.
6: agents had fallen for the false narrative the antifa activists and that allowed for a deadly bias That somebody in a position of authority of the FBI could have such a divergent view of the necessary preparations the FBI should be making
5: for a Black Lives Matter protest versus the increasingly public white supremacist and far-right militant violence, I think, highlights that bias.
6: In Senate testimony two months after the insurrection, Jill Sanborn, then the FBI's Assistant Director for Counterterrorism, was asked why the FBI was unaware of social media communications concerning planning for the attack on the Capitol.
4: Under our authorities, we cannot collect First Amendment uh, protected activities without sort of the next
3: step, which is the intent. And so we have to have an already predicated investigation that allowed us access to those comms and or a lead or a tip from a community citizen or a fellow law enforcement partner for us to gather that information. That
6: isn't true. It's total bullshit because that's exactly what the FBI did in Denver in the summer of 2020, the issue in stopping January 6th, wasn't the FBI's lack of power and authority. The issue was that the FBI was blinded by its own hand was running around trying to create bad guys in the racial justice movement while ignoring the very real bad guys who would soon bring violence to the U.S. Capitol. On top of all that, the FBI helped destroy the racial justice movement. Just look at what happened in Colorado. Racial justice leaders like Trey Quinn began to disengage following the rampant mistrust that Mickey had created. The Denver chapter of the Young Democratic Socialists of America imploded after Mickey used the group and its members to bolster his credibility among the demonstrators. There's no longer a YDSA in Denver. Eventually, the mass demonstrations intended to call attention to the deaths of young Black Americans at the hands of police. They stopped. Some of this, no doubt, was a natural occurrence. All political movements eventually stopped. But the FBI's undercover work in Colorado hastened that collapse. Mickey's work for the FBI follows a long pattern. The FBI did the same thing in the 1960s. We had congressional investigations, reforms, and we told ourselves, this doesn't happen anymore. But it does happen. It happened in Denver in the summer of 2020. Mm that summer president trump and right-wing media told us that we needed to be afraid of the antifa boogeyman it turns out they were right there was an antifa boogeyman he drove a silver hearse filled with guns he advocated for violence and destruction he was created and controlled by the u.s government by the FBI. And now, I need to
5: find Mickey. Hi, I'm David Eagleman. I have a new podcast
3: called Inner Cosmos on iHeart. I'm a neuroscientist and an author at Stanford University. And
5: I've spent my career exploring the three-pound universe in our heads. On my new podcast, I'm going to explore the relationship between our brains and our experiences by tackling unusual questions so we can better understand our lives and our realities. Like, does time really run in slow motion when you're in a car accident? Or can we create new senses for humans? Or what does dreaming have to do with the rotation of the planet? So, join me weekly to uncover how your brain steers your behavior, your perception, and your reality. Listen to Inner Cosmos with Dave Diegelman on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
8: Mi it's Amara La Negra of the Exactly Amara podcast. I have some huge news. Los quiero invitar to an all-new season of my podcast, Exactly Amara. I am so excited to share even more of my life y lo vamos a hacer todo just how I like it, keeping it hot and spicy con ese sazón que les gusta so letting it get personal each week as i share with you my new life as a single mom of twin girls the constant changes physically and mentally as a new mother running a business dating and the importance of having a strong support group around you, well, you Mama. along the way i'm bringing some incredible guests to be part of the conversation that only exactly amara can bring to you get those headphones ready and turn me up because this new season va a caliente listen to exactly amara as part of the microflora podcast network available on the iheart radio app apple podcast or wherever you get your podcasts
3: i am rosie o'donnell and i've got a new podcast called onward with me i long
6: assumed that mickey wouldn't talk to me after all remember his life rule from the three P's: the politicians, the press, and the police. I mean, we know now that's not exactly true about the police. Mickey was a professional snitch, but I figure he was likely serious about at least one of the other pieces, the press. Still, I want to find him to try to talk to him. While reporting out this podcast, I met with a lot of people who knew Mickey. Most were terrified of him, and many didn't want to be recorded or have their names revealed. Several of these people told me the same thing. Mickey isn't in Denver any longer, but then I did get this one tip. My best chance of finding him, go to his old apartment. The guy who lives there, I was told is Mickey's close friend. In journalism, doorstepping is industry slang for an unannounced visit. It's a last resort. You doorstep someone when other efforts have failed. And I've done this enough to know the likeliest outcome is that no one answers the door, even if someone is home. So I write a note to leave along with my business card and say, I'm interested in speaking with Mickey, but it's work for the FBI. Hello? I can see inside through the closed screen door. The apartment is a mess, piles of stuff everywhere with strangely several vacuum cleaners lined up against the wall. One of the bedroom doors is closed and no one's responding. I place my note and business card under the door and I leave. And later that evening, I get a surprise when Mickey actually calls me, yeah, but I miss the call and it goes to voicemail.
7: Yeah, this is Michael Van
6: This is the voicemail
7: in its entirety. Let me you know right now, that address you went to posted post in that piece of paper saying that I worked for the FBI and shit, I don't live there, I haven't lived there in months. But if you post something, a story about me saying, supposedly I worked for the FBI, I will sue the shit out of you. I will take you to court and I will break you off in court for defamation and slander. I've already notified my attorney about this. My previous landlord notified me and sent me these uh, papers that you put on the old door I used to live at stating that I worked for the FBI. I do not work for the FBI. I've never worked for the FBI. You get proof of me working for the FBI, then I'll say otherwise. But there's no proof that I didn't work for them. Don't be posting stuff on my old apartment. For my neighbors, my old neighbors are thinking that I'm an FBI consultant or whatever the hell it is, okay? If you you do that again, I promise you, I will sue you. That's a guarantee. Don't fucking do that again. Don't come to my old house. Don't be posting stuff that's not true.
6: 20 minutes later, I receive another voicemail from a blocked number.
7: I'm just letting you know, Michael Wynnecker has not lived at this address for... Probably now since
6: mid-Fall last year. Remember, I had heard that a friend of Mickey's still lives at the apartment where I left the note.
7: So, I ask that you please not come by my address again. I do not need heat on my house. Um, if you do come back by my house or apartment, I will notify my local law enforcement. Do not send anybody else in your place. I do not mess around with stuff like this. Thank you for your time. Good luck and goodbye.
6: It doesn't take a master of deduction to figure out what likely happened here. I left the note by the door. Mickey's friend found it and he called Mickey. They then come up with a plan. The friend will call me and say he doesn't know how to reach Mickey. Leave me at a dead end. It's a solid plan honestly, if Mickey's looking not to be found. But if this was the plan, Mickey screwed it up. This voicemail would have been the dead end. But Mickey couldn't stop himself from calling me first. And he does what we now know he does when he's cornered. He lashes out and makes threats. He's going to sue me, Mickey claims. rake me off for defamation, as he put it. And Mickey didn't call from a blocked number. So I call him back and he answers. Hello? Hi, this is Trevor. I'm sorry,
7: Mr. Paul. Yeah, Trevor, this is Michael Vindexer. Um, I got a call from my, I was
6: know about my older part, they were not saying that was an FBI console or something like that. Yeah. So, so I'm a journalist and I'm doing a story on your work with the FBI during the summer of 2020. And I've been trying to reach you. Um, I worked with the FBI during 2020. You did. I, ha- I have records and video and audio proving this. Records and video and audio of me working with the FBI. That seems kind of weird because I didn't work with the FBI. You were paid um, five thousand dollars every two weeks during the during your work with them. That's not true. Well, that's what the records say. But I would love to talk to you about this. Um, I'd like to interview you about your work in summer 2020. Same thing I don't do is I don't talk to the press, I don't talk to politicians, but I don't talk to the police self. Mickey then threatens again to sue me for defamation if I report that he worked for the FBI. And he hangs up. So I call back.
7: He makes Command Sergeant Major smoking at the tone. He know,
6: this. Hey, Mickey, this is Trevor Aaronson. I know you're probably uh, surprised with my call, so I understand why you would have reacted the way you did. Um, I just want to make clear that I have definitive proof that you are working with the FBI. These include records, these include audio, these include video, and this is absolutely unambiguous. So what I'm hoping to do is to get you to kind of tell what happened, you know, getting your account of what happened is very important. Um, I understand that you would have various reasons to not want to be exposed as an FBI informant, um, but that's likely going to happen no matter what with this project. So I would very much like to talk to you. So give me a call and let me know how we we might arrange this. Mickey has never responded. I followed up with texts and additional calls. I've also sent him screenshots of some of the FBI undercover videos to prove to him that I'm not bluffing. Still nothing. He clearly doesn't want to talk to me about his work for the FBI during the summer of 2020. And the FBI doesn't want to answer any questions either. The FBI's press office declined to make anyone available for an interview and refused to provide written responses to a list of questions I sent. The day after Mickey calls me, I head over to Zeb Hall's apartment in Denver. It's a three-story building. Zeb's place is on the top floor. Inside, the kitchen and living room are together, a single room. It's sparsely furnished. Zeb has a large desk in the corner and a couch facing a television. What did you just do in a sound check? Okay. I set up my recording equipment. Zeb is sitting in a chair next to his desk. I'm on his couch. So the first thing I wanted to talk to you about was I finally got a hold of Mickey. Oh, yeah. And he left me a message and I to play it for you. I play Mickey's voicemail for Zeb. Don't be posting stuff
7: on my old apartment for my neighbors. My own neighbors are thinking that I'm an FBI consultant or whatever the hell it is. Okay. If you, if you do that again, I promise you, I will sue you. That's a guarantee. Don't fucking do that again. Don't come to my old house. Don't be posting stuff. that's not true. What do you think of that? Well,
5: you got paid though. <laughs> it wasn't a donation. You know, it's like, you know, hey, man, they worked for him, but, you know,
4: they gave me some bread for, like, you know,
6: yeah. The payment records I have for Mickey appear to be incomplete. But what I have shows he was paid every two to three weeks, sometimes $5,000, sometimes a little less. I can confirm that he made more than $20,000 working for the FBI that summer, though I suspect Mickey earned significantly more. FBI informants can make in excess of six figures a year. The fact that Mickey was paid a lot of money by the FBI is significant because FBI internal reports suggest that Mickey wasn't motivated by money to work as an informant, but instead by a desire to be a good Samaritan.
5: Who is going to believe or want to work with a good Samaritan who has all these charges? Doesn't make any sense. Zeb's
6: talking about Mickey's many criminal charges, including assault, sexual assault, and menacing with a weapon.
5: America didn't send its best at that point. Um, I'm pretty sure there's some good people in the FBI, but the FBI didn't send their best, (laughs) you know, it's, uh, yeah.
6: Yeah. America didn't send its best in Mickey Windecker. I don't know if Mickey's still working for the FBI. As a policy, the FBI will neither confirm nor deny that anyone is an informant. One of Mickey's friends had told me that he'd stopped working for the feds and that he's now living in Nashville, clocking hours as a motorcycle mechanic. I called as many motorcycle shops in Nashville as I could find, and no one had heard of a Mickey
1: Windecker. Yeah, it gave me chills just now because he's, he's he's a bad guy. Bad guys attract bad guys and. I feel like he's going to keep
6: doing this forever. Cassie, Mickey's third ex-wife, had told me that Mickey is such a master of deception and has so many people who will cover for him, wittingly and unwittingly, that it's impossible to know what's true. If someone claims Mickey's in Nashville, Cassie says, then it's a good bet he's not in Nashville. Cassie believes her ex-husband is a kind of dark force riding into town after town to extract financial gain from the suffering of others. She thinks Mickey is out there, still working for the FBI, and still trying to set up unsuspecting guys like Zeb Hall, Bryce Shelby,
0: and Trey Quinn.
1: One thing I've learned is they will use a little fish to get the big fish. And I think in this case they use the big fish to get all the little fish because Mickey is... He's a shark, and you know, on the good badass way, and nasty sharks. And you know, if they can get a bunch of little fish, and a bunch of you know, just, just, just get people, you know, and, and hurt them, and you know, especially the Black Lives Matter thing. You know, when you told me about that, I was just like, great, this is like carnival for him. He doesn't give a shit about people. He doesn't give a shit about helping people or you know, making their lives better. No. He's doing it to make money, and I don't know how much longer he's gonna keep roaming the streets, but it's almost like talking about the Night Stalker or something, you know, or Jeffrey Dahmer. Like, when are they gonna get caught? You know, they're out there, and they're gonna do it again.
6: I too think Mickey's out there somewhere, behind the wheel of a silver hearse, secretly taking orders from the FBI. Well, I guess. Not so secretly anymore. This was Trojan Hearse. Yeah. Season one of Alphabet Boys,
0: And coming very soon,
6: season two.
3: So you do personal security all over the world. You're connected to all these different people.
6: It's an alphabet soup with the CIA, the DEA, and the FBI all mixed up in the same case. And you
8: had somebody call you and say, can you get yeah. grenades and guns for this guy in Colombia? Not, not specified grenades, a lot of ammunition. Munitions, sk
7: 47
6: It's the story of a jet-setting Romanian businessman, a brash Colombian drug runner, a call to the CIA, and a $17 million arms deal that goes really
7: Really wrong.
6: At the center of everything is Flavio. But who is Flavio? When
3: I land,
7: there's Flavio in suit. It's like, follow me.
6: Is he a secret agent?
7: And he slams down his badge in my passport and they just stamp it. And I'm like, uh, something's going on here. Is he an arms dealer? You have to come to a woman neighborhood because your friend because I have
6: it right now in my head. Or is Flavio something else entirely?
3: What call is from. Uh, just... An inmate, a federal then?
6: Alphabet Boys, season two, coming soon. Alphabet Boys is a production of Western Sound, Die Hard Podcast. It's reported, written, and hosted by me, Trevor Harris. Ben Adair and I are the executive
7: producers.